Welcome to the Roll for Crit podcast. You are listening to a great place to be. You're listening to a place to be. I don't know. It didn't make sense, but you're here for board games, card games, tabletop games. I've really, I'm really killing it so far this week with this intro. I'm Jonathan Estes. I'm Will Keeler, and yeah, you are. There has never been a better podcast intro than that one just there. (laughs) I think you're right. I think it was really good. Uh, We're really coming out strong this week. Uh, St. Patrick's Day this week. How about that? Gonna. I mean, I that's a big thing for our inside. show, right? Because it's it's about you know the the luck of the Irish. We're all about luck and dice rolling, right? And I do love the color green. And you love the color green, so it should be your your favorite holiday. Uh, but uh, we're not here to talk about St. Patrick's Day or any of its holiday uh, traditions. Instead, we're here to talk about board games. Before we do, we do want to check in with our podcast mascot, as we always do, Roland F. Criterion who is an awesome R bard for any new listeners. He's recently reached level three. And on last week's episode, he encountered a merchant who was in a bit of a bind, was tied up, and Roland decided to make him a business proposition uh, that they could work together with Roland handling the uh, construction of materials and goods and uh, with this merchant handling the business end of things. Uh, but of course, he's a little skeptical of this because while he was making this proposition, he was t- hung upside down by his feet and he was sort of like a little annoyed. Not by that, Roland. <laughs> yeah, by somebody else. But he was annoyed that <laughs> Roland wasn't uh, helping out right away. So we're going to see uh, how this goes down this week. But to help us uh, with that endeavor and everything else on our show, we've got a great guest joining our party this week. He's a designer who's worked on Many games, including Descent, Journeys in the Dark, Star Wars, Imperial Assault, Pandemic Legacy, Season Zero, and now he's starting a brand new studio called Moon Crab Games. Welcome to the show, Justin Kempinen. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am glad you are here. Uh, I'm excited to talk more about uh, everything that you're working on. But first, we do need your help. Uh, we, Roland needs a way to convince this guy that he's good enough to start this business with him. Now, I Roland, think we got the perfect guess for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, how, boy. How, imagine you're making a pitch to a to a to a publisher or something for a game design or a. Or, or something like that. But yeah, now Bar- Roland did recently uh, learn a bard school that allows him to create items out of thin air, but I think they disappear after a couple of hours. So I don't know, that could work in the in the short term, <laughs> but it's up to you. How do you think Roland should figure this one out and make this make this case? Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend this as the way to get uh, attention from publishers or to start your own business. But I think... Roland probably feels a little bit offended uh, at this point <laughs> because he came he came up with a pretty good business plan. So I think the merchant has to earn his way into the fold, as it were. But yeah. but maybe not like completely left to his own devices. So I think maybe what Roland should do is offer him uh, if he's got a knife or a blade or something to help him cut himself down. See, if this man can help himself, maybe that makes him a worthy business partner. And hey, maybe Roland even does a little bardic inspiration to you know, oh. sing, sing his way to, to help this guy out. So he's, he's kind of turning the tables here and saying, you know, you impress me right now. Yeah, <laughs> which is exactly what you should do when you're pitching a game to a publisher. You know, you, you Mr. Publisher, you have to impress me. Yeah, yeah, that's every job interview. You know, you, get, you want them to <laughs> fight for you. 
not yeah. the other way around. I, I love this. So yeah, so he's gonna. T- so I guess I think we're rolling for the merchant this week, but for sure, uh, Roland can assist and offer him that bardic inspiration die, uh, which is a, a D six. Um, that is a D six. So uh, yeah, he he gets to add that on to his whatever the initial roll is. So you want to roll that one for Will? <laughs> yeah, I'll start with the initial one. Let's yeah, let's go. go I don't it. know what the. I guess the the merchant probably has a high uh, charismatic. I'd hope so. Well, he's so. trying to also cut himself down, so it's really more of a. Is it a survival well, check or something? <laughs> I, it's almost. Well, just roll the die. Yeah, it's it's a twelve. <laughs> it's a twelve before anything. All right, all right. Let's now and now with the inspiration, he's he's really fired up from Roland's egging him on. What? I'm in suspense. Is a D6 being rolled? I'm working on it because I don't have a D6. <laughs> I, you, we've never had to do that before, so I had to pull one up. Just roll the D20 and then divide it by uh, <laughs> uh, whatever that might be. I, I don't know. Slightly is, less than four. All right. <laughs> yeah. Two. <laughs> okay, so bringing it to a total of 14. You know what? I think whatever, regardless of whatever special skills this merchant has, uh, I think he did a pretty good job. I think he lands on his feet with aplomb, if you will. There's a, a, I don't know. I was impressed by my use of that word. So maybe, maybe you guys will be too. It works. Uh, and I think, I think Roland sees this perhaps as the start of a shaky, but, <laughs> but hopefully in the long term, lucrative business deal. <laughs> Could be a good partnership here. Uh, I like it. All right. Well, I'm happy for Roland. I'm glad that this worked out. We do have actual board game stuff to talk about this week, uh, which is where we are going to pivot to next in the news roundup. News roundup. So this is an exciting week because one of the news stories I think we'd be talking about anyway, uh, it just so happens we have the guy on the show here to really give us the inside scoop. And that is the, as I mentioned, this founding of this new studio, Moon Crab Games. And I would love to just uh, give the floor to you for a minute, Justin, and, and tell us about the the inspiration for this company, how it got started, and what your guys' plans are for the immediate future. Yeah, yeah, I'd be delighted to talk about it a little bit here. Uh, so Moon Crab Games is a new board game studio founded by three industry veterans. Uh, there's myself, Justin Kempinen, there's Todd Miklich, and Sam Shimoda. We are all former members of Fantasy Flight Games and Z-Man Games. We formed the uh, most of the Z-Man Games management team uh, for the past several years. And uh, last fall, there was a unfortunate turnover that happened at Z-Man Games. A good majority of the staff uh, left or was uh, laid off, and we ended up all just being free agents. Um, I was one of the first to go, uh, just for various reasons, and I started, the, the day after I, I finished up there, I started working on a, a design uh, myself. It had been a little while since I'd done core design, and I was just, I was feeling fresh, I was feeling energized, I had the inspiration for it, and I started working on the prototype that would eventually become uh, the game Leviathan Wilds, and mm. um, so... We, after I worked on that for a while, I started talking to these two and we started talking about how, like, okay, what's, what's, what's the possibility here? What could we do? Is this something that we could actually make something out of? Could we make a real business and, and create this product 
to support that business. And as time went on, things just kept going really, really well. Um, the game was well received by playtesters. We were able to keep just working on it and iterating and improving it to the point where we were comfortable not only forming the business, but having this plan for an announcement where we have it available right away to play so people can be like, hey, I love this or I hate this. Either one's great. Tell us what you think. And uh, we're, we're working to improve it over time in advance of a uh, crowdfunding launch. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's kind of it. I, right now, we're, we're just a we're just three dudes who are working on what we feel like is a really cool game. And that's all of our focus uh, at the moment. Yeah. Has it, how has it been so far in terms of, uh, you know, do you feel, does, is it freeing? <laughs> do you feel like you can kind of do whatever you want right now? And is that exciting or uh, maybe a little bit intimidating? It's incredibly intimidating, uh, partially because we decided to go the self-funding route. Uh, which is more or less to say almost no funding because uh, we weren't you know, high octane business executives in, in Asmodee. <laughs> um, but freeing, definitely, because by the same token, uh, working for a company like Asmodee has a lot of bureaucracy and restrictions. It, it's almost like working for any major corporation. I'm sure a lot of people can, can sympathize with what that environment is like. And so, you know, we were in management and we probably spent a good 10 to 20 hours a week just doing meetings, just going through red tape and bureaucracy and like occasionally poking at products and projects and making them as good as we possibly could. And of of course, I'm super proud of all the stuff we made at Fantasy Flight Games and Z-Man. But now it's like every day is filled with how do I focus on this one thing how do i make this one thing better today what can i do to get people to think it's as cool as i think it is and while terrifying it's been so liberating yeah i mean that's awesome to hear you know there's a we've watched a couple of documentaries that have come out in the last few years about game designers and the the two that I'm thinking of, and one is called Game Master, and one is called the Game Makers. I think that's what they're both called. They have similar titles, so <laughs> I hope I'm not getting confused. Uh, and they're both they both focus on uh, like really independent designers. And I've always kind of been interested to see if someone would make a documentary or write more about the the side of things like the Fantasy Flight and the Z Man, where it is more of a, a larger company where people come in from day to day. Um, and, and it's and I don't know if maybe that's not even something. I, it, see, it feels very secretive to me. It feels yeah. like a I, Willy Wonka. I think that's sort of part of the point. I don't think yeah. when you get to that point, companies don't want you to know anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's so many, um, I hate to use the $10 business term for it, but there's so many stakeholders beyond just who you see, like just who's in your own department and even your own studio. You've got distribution partners, you've got sales partners, you've got retailers across the world who have certain expectations about what you're saying and what you're doing. And it just becomes a lot easier. Oh, you've got a legal department too. That's telling you you what Mm. to say and not to say. Mm -hmm. And you've got licensors, especially if you're thinking about FFG, you have to be really careful about that. And so it just, it ends up being so much easier to just clam up and occasionally announce and release products. So like, if you want some hints of, of what it looks like and can kind of read between the lines, the, um, twilight imperium fourth edition documentary that shut up and sit down did 
mm. you can see a little bit of of what life is like in that environment if you can if you can kind of make a couple of guesses about what some of the statements mean and i won't say any more than that <laughs> <laughs> okay okay good good tip Good tip. I like that. Uh, and I, I, just uh, one more <laughs> question for you about <laughs> specifically Leviathan Wilds. I'd yeah. love to hear maybe just a little bit more about uh, what the game's going to be like. And I don't know, if is there any plan of, do you have any idea of a launch date for it or anything like that or too far off? Yeah, so uh, just the very brief synopsis is that Leviathan Wilds is a cooperative tactical game about climbing massive creatures. You, the players, play as a crew of expert climbers who are tasked with exploring the wilds and healing these ancient frenzied leviathans that tore the world apart a long time ago, generations ago. So you know, everybody will always be saying this, so I'll just come out. It's, it, <laughs> it's inspired by, or at least covering similar subject matter to Shadow of the Colossus, uh, <laughs> where you're essentially climbing on these giant leviathans and trying to cure slash heal them of their affliction if i recall in shadow colossus your curing method <laughs> uh is a bit questionable i'm assuming you actually are using that word as more of a healing terms in this case yeah so that's one of the big departures from from the uh, the source material i guess uh is tonally you're actually rescuing the leviathans instead of killing them um Shadow of the Colossus is a really melancholy game. Uh, it's full of sad things. Your 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 character isn't happy. They're in this uh, ancient land for for reasons that are full of regret. And every time you kill one of the Leviath or one of the uh, Colossi, this really sad music plays. And as the game progresses, your character just gets more and more like broken and uh <laughs> all this like black threads pouring through their body and 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 stuff like that so one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to go for something that was tonally a little bit lighter something that fits a bit better with a cooperative game or at least with our experience with cooperative games in the same sense like we came from z-man working on pandemic and pandemic is ostensibly a game about something horrific happening in the background but the game itself is much more about the triumph and the working together to try to make the world a better place and to help people. And, you know, this takes a much more speculative fiction, uh, deeper fantasy vibe to it. But we feel like that's just just better for for what we can do, what we're interested in making, especially in modern times when uh, life has been a little bit more dark the last few years. Yeah. That's pretty understandable. Uh, yeah, I know Will, Will and I both enjoyed uh, the Shadow of Colossus game. And I, I know that it looks like this game I saw has another thing that Will and I are big fans of, which is the spiral notebook format. Yep. So it's a scenario-based game, and it uses that uh, spiral notebook as the maps. Uh, it's a square grid sitting on top of a big illustration of a unique Leviathan. And what we have available in the public demo right now are just two two examples of that. One of them's a horizontal map of a giant turtle, and the other one is a vertical map of what you would kind of think of as a more classic giant creature, uh, humanoid-shaped. But it's got really long, spindly limbs, and it's kind of melting into the ground a little bit. And so you can kind of expect that there will be that level of variety in the 
leviathans of the final game. Some of them will be horizontal. Some of them will be vertical. Some of them will be animal shaped. Some of them might just be a giant tornado. Uh, that's hmm. it, We're looking to get a lot of variety in both the uh, shape and size and map configurations of those scenarios, but also in just what these things are going to do to you as you're trying to climb and rescue them. Because, of course, of course, they're trying to kill you the entire time. They're not of sound <laughs> mind. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love the concept. Will, did you have any other uh, 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 I, I guess what's maybe the usual things that everyone who's listening, like, what is the slated time that we can expect to see this in the marketplace and stuff? And, uh, of course, will there be expansion titans or leviathans? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, One yeah, leviathans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you... you we spent a lot of time deciding what the ne- the actual name of the game and the creatures was, but yeah. And anyway, um, so 2023 release, um, we are hoping that it would be more towards the middle of the year than towards the end, but especially with logistics and supply chain being right. what they are, it'd be nearly impossible to predict. This isn't our first rodeo though. We've project managed and produced a lot of games. So we're hoping that that will allow us to bypass some of the hurdles that, uh, other first-time uh, crowdfunders may run into. That said, we are first-time crowdfunders here, so there's certainly going to be some hurdles that we run into. Uh, for the actual crowdfunding itself is going to be later this summer. We're, we've are we launched in this kind of early access state with um, placeholder graphic design and, mm-hmm. and other details so that we can get some feedback. We can start to build some interest in the game itself and have people tell us, hey, what is it you like about it? What do you think needs to be a part of the experience so that we can actually make those changes in while the game is still not fully, fully baked yet? Uh, and we've got great feedback already just in the past week that we're, we're keeping an eye on and making sure that we try to implement as we continue to develop content for it. But I would guess uh, late June, early July, hopefully not as late as August, because we don't necessarily want to compete with, with Gen Con for... Oh, I just assumed at Gen Con you're going to be there with like life-size versions <laughs> or something. <laughs> I mean, no joke, it'd be awesome to do like a, a uh, convention version of like a, like a felt board that's vertically stacked as a demo. So people could actually run up and play uh, on a, a slightly more like vertical oriented uh, version of the game. But I mean, that seems perfect. Maybe after the ki- maybe that's a stretch goal. It, maybe that's a stretch goal. Maybe that's a couple of years down the line once we have uh, the kind of uh, mm-hmm. the kind of support that would let us uh, do things like attend big conventions like that and such. You know, we're we're small, we're scrappy, we're mm-hmm. working hard, we're we're trying to earn that kind of regard though, and it's going to take some time to get there. Uh, so, yeah. well, I'm I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And I, I think it's it's very cool. You know, just like um, uh, Corey Kaneska kind of s- split off and did uh, uh, unexpected games. Mm-hmm. This is his company. They did the initiative. Like I, I think it's really fun and interesting to see these big names who I've seen and you know underneath other publishers break out and be able to do their own thing. So yep. I, I'm I'm excited to see what kind of creative stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And, but like you said before, I just feel so bad. Just, I feel like in your, especially your, like in your case and just like, Oh, there's so many things that are not in your control that you hurdles that you shouldn't have to deal with that you have, that you are now. <laughs> yeah. You picked a rough time to start this thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think about that every once in a while, but if you had even gone two years back, I don't think I would have had the knowledge base to do something like this. It just, mm. uh, that's what the value of working for a, 
working for almost a decade in the industry gets you is just the ability to see how things function. So I, I feel bad for the person who's like this, I, I want to do this. And they're the first time creator and they just, they don't have any, any real idea of what hurdles they themselves have to go through, even just to make the game. And I mean, this might sound like a total like jerk thing to say, but making the game is kind of the easiest part in, in <laughs> many cases. Oh, of course, it's the fun part. Then you have yeah, to actually yeah. do logistics. Uh -huh. <laughs> there, there's a reason why, if you've ever played like a lot of worker placement games or stuff, you don't have to worry about income often or like taxes or, oh, that's delivery fees and mm -hmm. warehouse co rental costs. <laughs> You're telling me my shipping, uh, my shipping container is stuck in the UK, isn't going anywhere, and I'm still paying fees on it? <laughs> yes, yeah. unfortunately, you cannot get your products out of our warehouse yet, but you got to pay for that space still. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ho hopefully, things are starting to get better, not worse right now, but it's, you know. <laughs> okay, okay. So, oh. so I'll, I'll plug Todd very, very slow. Todd's kind of the main business manager. He's the one who's handling like the accounting and finance. And he said to me today, well, on my risk profile bingo card was not China being asked to join uh, with Russia in the uh, conflict. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's hard to predict these things these days. You really did, did he have the all the the biggest wave of COVID there happening <laughs> now closing the major manufacturing city? I think it was on the list. It's like, okay, what happens if more stuff happens in China, which of course is the big manufacturing hub. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the biggest one has been shipping and and ocean freight is like what's going to happen here? It costs. I assume that's center square. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck to you, and hopefully, hopefully, I, I it's mm -hmm. I, I think you got a good team, and I, I, I mean, without even just having heard of the premise of the game, uh, I feel confident in saying I'm sure this will get funded when, once you guys launch and be successful. And I've got my climbing gear ready. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, I'm definitely looking forward. It definitely sounds like a genre that's uh, right up our alley. So. Uh, and I mean, I, I guess not to just one last thing on top of that. Do you do you have like a drawer full of ideas of other games always at any given time or is it just too early or not even you focus on this one and then you move on to the next one? Oh, yeah, we've got we've got a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot in the tank. And, and the system like we came from a uh, like way back at the FFG uh, during those times, we came from a scenario game environment and I probably made more than a hundred scenarios for various game lines. So we've built this thing from the ground up to be compatible with additional content and probably expansions. Not that we necessarily want to ride the expansion train as far as like FFG does, but there's room to let that game line grow over time. So got lots of ideas for that. Got lots of ideas for other games. We see, we see a lot of gaps in the marketplace, some genres that haven't really been, served very well some some game styles that could be boosted to a level of approachability and still with the level of tactical and strategic value um time will tell if we're actually as smart as we think we are but you know <laughs> awesome well i'm definitely looking forward to find out more of that stay tuned 
listeners uh, and and stay tuned, stay alert uh, for more details on all that stuff. Leviathan Wilds is the name of the game, uh, so put it in your put it in your calendar or something. Put it for this summer. Uh, but now we will move on. We'll stay in the world of business a little bit. Uh, speaking of other board game <laughs> companies this time, uh, because there's more board game company acquisitions to cover. Uh, just not that long ago, we talked about the Flat River Group having acquired Greater Than Games. They also made the deal to publish uh, Yellow Games in North America. Now they have also acquired Luma Imports, which does distribution in North America for a number of other publishers like Horrible Guild and Sit Down Games and another company called Synapses Games, which has a couple games. Uh, there's one called Coatl. Uh, there's one called Beta uh, that are interesting, smaller looking games. And then also the company Jasco Games, who does they do trading cards. They do a lot of licensed stuff. They've got Cowboy Bebop, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They do all kinds of stuff. They have been acquired uh, by POW Interactive. Uh, and POW Interactive says that they uh, intend to acquire more companies and possibly more gaming companies as well. So this is perhaps just the beginning for them. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to hear from you, Justin, what you think, uh, if you have thoughts about these in spe specifically these companies that we're talking about, or even just in general, uh, you know, usually when I'm used to see an acquisition headline, I'm used to it being about Asmodee, uh, <laughs> but, but flat river is, uh, you know, they're nowhere near that level, but it seems like maybe they're kind of seeing that strategy working and kind of going for a smaller version of it. Do you think we'll see more of these kinds of, board game mergers or acquisitions as time goes on? Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. I would expect that Asmodee will continue their their pattern because, mm -hmm. I mean, you look at their general business model, and I, it's hard to say exactly what, um, what the Embracer group is going to do with them. That's their new owner right. uh, after PAI. Um, so we'll see what that does. But they're kind of built to do that kind of merger and acquisition stuff so it's it's what they focused on it's what they do and but that being said they're continuing to focus on bigger and bigger targets bigger and bigger fish trying to expand their global reach a little bit more into new territories and that sort of thing what i think that's leaving room for is uh smaller holding corporations and smaller groups to pick up some of the uh, the things that Asmodee really wouldn't be interested in, because it's just not as, as silly as it sounds. It's not big enough for them to to pay attention to with how they've how they're swinging around their their overall value. So uh, the other thing that this tells me, I think, is that medium sized money is seeing more value in the tabletop industry. So they're trying to grab up the places that they're they're thinking that they can derive value for their investors out of. So the uh, the it's uh, remind me Flat River picking up a couple of places, uh, trying to expand into the North American distribution market that Asmodee is pretty heavily dominant in, especially with the really really big uh, hobby games, and yeah. finding some some of the niche in there for other 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 games that are getting bigger and and are expanding their reach. The whole industry, I think, this is a sign that it's growing. Whether or not you know whether or not you should feel comfortable about it as a consumer, it's hard to say. There is going to be some good and probably a fair amount of not so good on the consumer side of things. 
But then again, other companies will come in and innovate and provide value in other ways. So hopefully in the end, you'll be able to still get cool things. Yeah, my comfort level as these stories have gone on over the years has, I think, gradually decreased. Uh, yeah. But but Will, what are you? How are you feeling? What's your comfort level at? Uh, I'm. I think I'm slightly more positive. I'm just seeing it more like because I guess in my head, still Flat River feel doesn't feel like like similar to Asthma Day. Yeah. So I'm like maybe at most it's like it's going to be more distributing power, challenging them there. Yeah. When. Asmo Day felt like they're just acquiring for acquiring its sake. Mm-hmm. That said, there is part of me le- that is worried that, like, as usually, you know, hearing about compet- big competitors is always a good thing. But then there's that little voice in my head that's like, yeah, but this could end up like the airlines when they all just agree- make agreements. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we're the ones who pay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, ideally, it's, you know, you want more competition. Um, it's, I, I keep thinking about, <laughs> So I listen. There's another podcast that uh, you should listen to after this podcast. Don't stop listening to this one, but uh, <laughs> uh, called Doughboys, where they review food restaurants. And uh, one of the hosts has remarked, kind of jokingly, about how, like, since the pandemic, he used to like root for the smaller, like the mom and pop food stores against the big chains, and now it's like he's rooting for just the smaller chains or like the good guys because the mom and pops are gone and like the, yep. there there are no good guys anymore. Like everybody's has been consumed and acquired by somebody, and that's maybe sort of what this is feeling like. It's like yeah, Flat River is like compared to Asmo Day, they're like Robin Hood, you know, but they're yeah. still a they're still like a corporation. It's it's just degrees and everything, but. Yeah, the thing yeah, I oh yeah. sorry. Uh, no, 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 go ahead. The thing I'd be most curious to see, and this is gonna get ultra boring for a, a tabletop gaming podcast, is <laughs> whether or not the impending increases in interest rates will change how much acquisition happens. Just because if debt becomes a little too expensive, then the value of using that debt to gobble up other companies maybe isn't quite the same ratio Mm. for now though like if debt is going to become more expensive oh go nuts right now gobble them up you know let inflation uh take care of the lion's share of that debt for you so yeah like you might see a feeding frenzy sometime in the near future just with people trying to to do this in advance of potential hikes and interest rates Mm. i I couldn't help as you started to i just immediately pictured oh he's talking about a board game strategy now when are we getting the board game of this? <laughs> Everyone has to play as gobbling up other little board game companies. Hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> the restoration version. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. They should bring it back. Uh, I mean, I, I, I gotta ask again since since we got you here, we, we got an insider here. What would what would you do if if Asmo Day in a few years says they want to buy you or somebody else? Is that something that you would consider, or does I mean, that go against what you want to do? I mean, our ethos is to make awesome things. That's our business model. That's the thing that we want to embrace forever. And frankly, what we would see as an opportunity is to kind of take an exit strategy if the offer was really high and then just turn around and do it again. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's, I love that's, that's how Sophie Gravel did it for Z-Man Games to Plan B, sell both of those mm. to Asthma Day and, yeah, right. you know, cushy retirement or make another one. Like, that's, there's, 
I think there's nothing wrong with that. Like it, it used to be that that was a, oh, you're selling out uh, type of thing. But I think everyone's like, no, no, if you can fleece asthma day for a bunch of money, go for it. <laughs> now, would you be willing if there was some agreement like we're going to own you, but we won't touch anything you do? Like, mm. would that be acceptable or is it like, you know, too much already? <laughs> I think that there has never been a real situation where there's where where that has actually occurred. <laughs> Everybody always says like, oh, we've been acquired by so and so. And it doesn't matter what industry it is. You get that 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 heartrending moment where your favorite thing has been acquired. And for the most part, it doesn't seem to change. But if you always look on a long enough timeline, you can start to see some of those decisions that are made in the name of business and finance and and all of those things. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but I almost wouldn't trust if that were the case. Uh, it's it's historically very rare for for big companies to gobble somebody else up and then increase in the fullness of time, what they're capable of doing. Yeah. As someone who's seen some of my favorite video games purchased by EA, I can say I've seen quickly the business choices appear and have my favorites disappear. Yeah. Into a mobile game. I want to say the exception to the rule might be psychonauts two, of all things. Oh, Oh yeah. Microsoft. That's true. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 there's maybe some hope out there for these yeah. things. But yeah, it's the distribution. It's the, not a something to bet on. <laughs> no, no, I would not blame you at all. It's a little like the benevolent dictator kind of a thing. But uh, it's not even just publishers. It's you know we, they bought Board Game Arena, Asmo Day, and also uh, Miniature Market. We found out. So it's like, yeah, there. The, both of those are things, or at least Miniature Market. I feel like is still you know online retailer that. I haven't noticed anything weird going on with it, but you know, mm-hmm. like you said, over time you'll probably notice these things. Uh, but at any rate, we'll see uh, what it means for people like Jasco Games and these other companies that have just been acquired, and how that goes. And if we do start to see more of these uh, acquisitions and these sort of smaller conglomerates maybe start to crop up, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the industry. Uh, another thing affecting the industry. Price increases, shipping, manufacturing, all that stuff is an issue. This is a real business-heavy episode, but I'm kind of into it. I think it's fun. Uh, And now we are going to talk about a pretty big price increase for a pretty big game, Frosthaven from Cephalo Fair, the sequel, of course, to Gloomhaven that everyone's been anticipating. Uh, Initially was on Kickstarter for a pledge level of, I believe, $160. And in a recent update, the designer Isaac Childress announced that they would be raising the retail price. The MSRP is going to be $250, so uh, nearly $100 more than what Kickstarter backers are going to be paying. And, you know, game prices, especially from Kickstarter to retail, can change and increase. But in this instance, this is a pretty high-profile game and a pretty big price difference. So I think it's worth talking about justin you have any thoughts on uh you know frosthaven well i wonder if you maybe you are a backer if this is a game you're looking forward to and does this feel like something that was inevitable uh does this surprise you this this price increase or or not well i have i'm not a backer personally so i'll i'll preface with that uh i think i the backers who are into it must be feeling real good right about now (laughs) 
Um, I read his uh, the post that he made on the Kickstarter page, kind of outlining why this ended up being the case. And a lot of it seems like it was derived from just the increase in content. So in that instance, it was, okay, just increasing the value that's going into this game, making it better for the backers. Uh, if on the other side, the people who are waiting for retail are probably feeling a little bit uh, discouraged, dismayed, that maybe now they're going to have to pay quite a bit in order to get it. But um, I think you're probably seeing some effects of shipping and inflation in this, uh, some some price increases and such. But I imagine they just kept making the game and deciding that they wanted to add this, that, and and anything else to it. And like the original Gloomhaven is still a pretty incredible value proposition. Jaws of the Lion, even more so. Like it's insane how good of a yeah. value proposition that game is. And I think the thing that probably Isaac was really looking at too, and he said this as much in his uh, in his message, was trying to support retail and distribution partners. Because if he has to charge a certain amount in order to not lose money to get them to distribution then they have to still also mark things up so that they don't lose money as well. And uh, that's one of those things like that may be a sign that uh, Isaac is becoming a little bit more, his company is becoming a little bit more big business. He has to consider the needs of his distributors and his retailers almost as much as the needs of his customers too. So not throwing any shade at him uh, by any means, but he's doing He's doing a lot of big business now. His game has been number one for a long, long time. He's got the follow-up also in the top 10 on BGG and the follow-up follow-up, the true follow-up as it were, <laughs> coming out soon. He's got a lot of people that he has to please and I don't envy him that juggling act right now. And gosh, increasing MSRP from 160 to 250 is, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it is crazy to me that Gloomhaven being the most popular, uh, like famous, so to speak, in our circles, at least board game right now, I, I can't even think of a comparison. It's it's like if it's like if Pulp Fiction had been like for 20 years, the most popular movie ever made or something. I mean, it kind of was, I guess, but it's <laughs> like it's it's the it's an indie game, but it's also a gigantic like what I would think of as a quote-unquote triple-A, like, huge monstrous game that will last you forever, has a million minis, and is also incredibly acclaimed, and everybody talks about it. But the team is just, like, a few people. It's, which, hey, maybe you'll replicate this success with Leviathan Wilds, and you'll <laughs> know what it's like from that side. But uh, it seems like a very unique position to be in. Uh, Will, you you were a backer, I believe, of Frost Agents. I, I did back it because I'm like, oh, obviously we need to try this out and also talk about it on the show. So uh, it does feel good. I need to explain why you backed Frost Haven. I, I think people know. But yeah, yeah. How good do you feel? Uh, pretty good. I won't lie. I'm sure the people who bought it, knowing thinking that they're going to sell it off to begin with, are feeling better. Oh, because God, yeah. I'm sure they they their profits just significantly increased. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, those, I, I guess you call them scalpers. I guess. Are there that many of that for board? Yeah, I guess there probably are some for this game. But I have to yeah, imagine oh. he also did a retail pledge level too. So there's probably a handful of retailers yeah. who will get copies. Right, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. definitely, yeah, that's got to be a, probably the, the best. And I get it just because I feel just the history of Frosthaven, what's going on, and 
like not even things in his control, like the the um, not divider uh, organizer issue what's yeah. been going on right now. It's it's not like a key. Honestly, I'm surprised. I'm like, wow, this took quite a while <laughs> for him to admit like, yes, we need to raise the price. Yeah. I mean, is it at any point does this become bloat? <laughs> does that word enter the, the picture that this is like an example of going too far, doing too much? I mean, obviously, we haven't played the game, so I can't like really judge it. And I, I do honestly have faith that they know what they're doing. But you, you know what I think part of it is, though, I think it's our own perception. I think uh, a good example is video games, you know. Uh, there's often the argument, and I think the problem is also what's hap- where the money's going on the back end, but like how much a game costs for, and like when you hear people like, this game is only worth it because it brings me this many hours. And yeah. like in our head, if you compare like, oh, that's that's a lot, but you think the number of hours Gloomhaven, or sorry, Frosthaven is planned to, plans to bring to you is significant. Plus throw in the fact, unlike I think many other things, you can, if you're not sure you want to drop that, Try out Jaws of the Lion. It's not an exact one to one, but you'll if you enjoy those core mechanics, I'm guessing you're gonna like Frost Haven. Yeah, like I mean, if there ever was a game that I would be like, you know what, you will probably get your money's worth for two hundred and fifty dollars. It is Frost Haven. Uh, I I don't know that I want to pay two hundred fifty dollars no. for it, to be <laughs> honest, personally. But I I don't. It's not like I don't think anyone's getting ripped off here. You know. Now the one thing I do, and now imagine all the people who waited, and you know, just a, last year at Pax and Plug, they're like, oh my god, they announced the minis. I got to get those too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on for the, on that front. Uh, that campaign is launching later this year, I think, too. But uh, at any rate, Frosthaven, it's more expensive if you waited uh, and you really want it. I'm sorry, <laughs> or maybe maybe this is maybe this will help some people convince them they don't need to spend the money right now. <laughs> maybe they'll uh, find some other stuff to do. They're going to be like, "Hey, I heard you back the Kickstarter. Want to be friends?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's currently an up to date. Uh, estimated release right now that they could they're confident about for Frosthaven. I haven't been following it that closely, but I think it's still slated for this year. So we we will see exactly how that rolls out. And I assume also Kickstarter backers will get it a decent chunk of time before retailers, or at least most retailers. Probably. Um, yeah, probably. I don't know. It's all speculation. Aren't you glad you're listening to this podcast? Where I just <laughs> don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, all right. And then, of course, as it seems like we have every week now, there's a handful of new game announcements that I think are worth diving into. Uh, let's start with a new Catan entry, Catan Dawn of Humankind which we pretty much know nothing about, but it appears to, um, you know, it's the prehistoric era, they say, and it looks like, you know, you've got cave people, you're trying to build up a civilization from the dawn of humanity, and presumably it will be similar to traditional Catan gameplay, although perhaps perhaps not. Um, And then there's also the announcement that Portal Games is going to be co-publishing in America the and probably other regions too, the English edition of a game called Brazil Imperial, which uh, it was originally published by Meeple BR. Not a game that I was on my radar, but I've, I've seen some good buzz for it 
since this announcement. Uh, and supposedly it's like a combo of a Euro game and a 4X game, uh, which, which I think is an interesting sort of hybrid. Uh, Justin, any thoughts on either uh, this Catan game or Brazil Imperial? So when I was doing a little bit of reading up on the Dawn of Humankind, I think it's been confirmed that it's a remake of another Catan game called Settlers of the Stone Age. Mm. So uh, if, scoop. if this Reddit thread is to be believed, it looks like a Catan Studio staff member actually responded to someone asking that question. So now I don't know a darn thing about Settlers of the Stone Age, so that's. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there you go. Uh, that's oh, all right. Heard it here first, folks. And <laughs> as far as Catan, yeah, they're going to keep doing Catan-related things. It's the name of their studio. It's their whole brand. It's everything that they're interested in doing. So that doesn't come as too big a surprise. Uh, for Brazil Imperial, what I actually thought was most interesting about it is that a Polish company is doing the English edition <laughs> of a Brazilian game. Yeah, and I, as I believe, in Poland, they are not the publishers of this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that does show you how just how much Portal Games has really broadened their, their reach and their focus, I think. Yeah. Uh, like, they've really had a lot of success in, in, in North America, which is, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, Will, excited about either of these? Um, I, I, I'll have to see Brazil and actually like take a few turns before I comment on that one. I, I mean, Catan, it, it's fun to sit down to if someone enjoys it, but it's not the first thing that comes to mind. The thing I find, at least that came to my head with the Dawn of Humankind, and this is before I knew it was based off of the Stone Age one. I'm seeing a small rise in Stone Age, like in like Neolithic cavemen kind of inspired games. And I wonder if part of it is because original Catan, you are colon you're almost colonizers going onto a new land, which is a very common Euro theme in games, which is uh, is being questioned right now. And I wonder if we're going back because they're like, it's okay, everyone's at the same place. <laughs> you, like, yeah, neutral that makes ground. sense. That's sort of like the um, the uh, the loophole, I guess you can say to get around in the idea that where you can still gain territory that is not by removing someone else, removing a native's territory would be, I guess be a better way. I was about to say someone else, but no, that's a war game. That's a little yeah. different. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess Catan to its credit, although the theme is still questionable, at least it's a fictional place that they made. Right. <laughs> uh, that That is one thing they have in their favor. Yeah. I was a little more excited about Catan when I thought, oh, maybe it's something new, but mm. I guess it's just an old <laughs> game. But uh, when, I feel like they don't, you know, they, there's a lot of like the re-themes of Catan. But I feel like we haven't seen as many in recent years, just a new title with that branding, which I guess, you know, why bother when they <laughs> they don't need to? Uh, but uh, those are going to be something we can look forward to sometime in the near future. And then also a handful of licensed games to discuss. Uh, first up, uh, two Disney-themed ones. At least now they are both Disney. Uh, Smash Up Disney. So we're going to get the Smash Up card game, which originally debuted with just generic zombies and dinosaurs and stuff. And now they have the Marvel version and this Disney one, which is going to have, looks like, 
Pixar characters, Disney characters, the whole works. Or no, actually, I guess, I guess there aren't any Pixar characters. I'm just used to thinking of the 3D movies as Pixar, but they're not. <laughs> they're all they're all Disney related. Uh, then we're also getting a Star Wars villainous. So what once was Disney villains, you'll now be able to play as Star Wars villains, um, including Darth Vader, not the Emperor. They're they're saving him, it seems, for one of their expansions, but several other Star Wars themed villains. And uh, Funko Games also announced a board game based on Rear Window, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock film. <laughs> uh, so they're really they're really expanding the horizons in terms of what you might think of as a typical title to license for a board game uh now we, we've got someone here justin you, you've worked on licenses uh, what do you think about any of these do they, do they excite you uh do they seem like uh i mean two of them are reskins and uh, one of them is an original from the ground up work mm-hmm. does that does that change your opinion about either of them i think that all of them are very very cool and i hope that they find that they find people who really really love them uh Smash Up Disney. Is this the first licensed Smash Up? The second. Marvel was the first. Marvel. Okay. So, yeah, that that makes sense. It's a great engine for that type of thing. So, I it doesn't surprise me and maybe even would consider going back in on Smash Up Disney for, for the kids because they would get into that a little bit more than the original Smash Up theming. So, I think there's definitely a good audience for that. Star Wars Villainess is a lot of fun. Uh, that's almost one of the most obvious connections and pairings, I think, just because Star Wars has such iconic villains. So being able to to play around in that is is, it's really cool. I I think they they've got something neat there. Um, Rear Window is is really, really interesting. It kind of fits with uh, that. That one's a Prospero Hall design, and it kind of fits with Mm -hmm. their whole vibe of weaponizing nostalgia as much as they possibly can so (laughs) like cool Uh, like i love seeing all kinds of different games reskins that are clever and new ideas that are brand new yeah i I, that's the Mm -hmm. one that i'm certainly most interested in because i do feel like there's a lot of movies that people don't think of would make a good board game because you typically with a board game, you're thinking, well, what's my, you know, action that I can do. I fight the other person or whatever. I think there are a lot of examples like rear window where maybe it's not totally obvious at first, but the theme is interesting enough that it could lend itself to a unique gameplay style. Well, from the photos of that one, I don't know if you look through it, like one of the parts is director. So I actually think you're not in the world. You're actually in the filming of it which I'm really curious then how it's going to work out. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, it looks like maybe it's like a little, that's like a little meta nod to it, but it, it certainly looks like at least some part of it is a genuine murder mystery thing. It could I, be. Maybe that they're like the game master in some weird way, but yeah, yeah I was, instead of the usual 1v all. I was, they said it was cooperative, and so I was getting a little bit of almost Mysterium vibes when I was looking mm. through it. So maybe they're... I don't know if that means it's going to use association mechanics uh, or not, but it yeah. seems like the yeah the director who's literally you have a slate that says Hitchcock on it, <laughs> like they're yeah maybe sort of like the ghost, like they're directing the they decide or or assigned. I, I the, like that the, yeah because in another thing there is a yes token, there, <laughs> and I can just hmm. imagine like. So it's almost like you're playing as the characters, and you actually need to find out what's going on while the director's like trying to be like yeah just. 
Move to the left. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Will, you're a you're the smash up guy, but I, I right. think you didn't love the Marvel set. So, and I know you don't love Disney stuff. So, <laughs> it's this. well, okay. So here are, are the thing. First off, I think with the dark side villainous, which I'll get to talking a little bit more about, we can guarantee there's a smash up Star Wars in the works. That sounds At this likely. Point, I think that's a safe bet. Uh, the first thing I couldn't help but notice is, and maybe going back to when we were talking about big companies and then directing, in Smash Up Marvel, and even more so the original Smash Up cover art, all the characters are sort of looking like they're in a brawl with each other. This is not the case with the Disney one. They <laughs> all look fun. like they're on the same side. <laughs> yeah, they and don't that, I couldn't help. <laughs> yeah, which is something I just, I couldn't help but notice. Uh, so that like I said, you wanted to see Olaf punching Elsa a little bit because that's what Smash Up's <laughs> about. It's just the silliness of seeing. I mean, there is a princess group in the original Smash Up. That's a joke on all the Disney princesses. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, there there's when Star Wars comes, there's a joke on a Star Wars group. It, yeah. it it now seems the joke of the copyright ones are like, well, we also have the copyright ones in there. I mean, to be fair, I think like you look that, at Smash Brothers, they're not all hitting each other on the cover, right? It's more <laughs> because the other ones had that. I, I couldn't yeah, help but notice. That's, yeah. But that said, I'm also like, if someone isn't excited because they get the chance to play actually Big Hero 6 in this game, why should I be mad about that? It's not going to ruin the game somehow unless there's a mechanic issue, in which case that's not Big Hero 6 fault. That's just the problem that they now can take a base with one card and win in a turn or something <laughs> crazy like that. Well, I don't, I don't expect it to uh, upset you, but I do wonder if, if this is a point where you go, no, I don't need this one. Or do you say I, I have the smash? Have you collection. met me? <laughs> I, I <laughs> have. If there's a mechanical difference. I was hoping this might be, I was going to find a way to break you out of your, your spell. <laughs> no, the bigger problem is I don't think I could fit this in the big box anymore. <laughs> like the 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 whatever because the they don't it's box. not the big the bigger geeky box oh god like i think i've filled that up time to make the biggest geeky box i guess uh but no because if i ever did bring this out and if someone was like oh my god i can play frozen then i'm gonna be more than happy because that makes things a lot easier when you get to play things you like yeah, yeah. i'm only gonna stop you if you say can i play robots again i'm like you've said robots for the last five times we played this game that group needs a rest <laughs> yeah fair enough my niece loves frozen when she learns how to play a card game maybe maybe she'll want to play this one there you go uh all right well, well yes i do want to say one quicker thing quick thing about the villainous mm -hmm. i am a little disappointed because personally with the marvel one i love the shared uh, not nemesis. What do they call it? Villains, whatever the Villain. or the the heroes. Hero yes, <laughs> it sounds like this one. They're going back to each one has their own. Yeah, which makes more sense. I just thought it was, there was a bit more fun interaction in the Marvel one. The, yeah, my own. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. I'm curious if they do because the Marvel one was pretty different. So I wonder if this one maybe will even be interchangeable with the Disney version because Marvel you really couldn't mix. Uh, yeah, a different kind of a system, but maybe maybe they'll do a different sort of a thing for this one, too. All right. So look forward to those games coming up in the near future. Let's talk about games that are coming up in the even more distant future now in Kickstarter Pickstarter. Oh, this one looks uh, nice. It's nice. It's nice. This one Kickstarter Pickstarter. Justin, is there a crowdfunding project that's launched recently that you're maybe backing or that you've just got your eye on that you want to talk about? 
Yeah, the two that I, I think, so we spend a lot of time researching uh, Kickstarters and other uh, game found crowdfunding things just to see, okay, what's working? What are other people doing? What seems to resonate really well? Uh, the one I've been keeping my eye on most is Hamlet. Uh, mm. Not to be confused with the Shakespearean Hamlet. This is the village Hamlet. <laughs> That's and right. I I like what they're doing with the game. I think a, a quaint village builder tile laying game uh, is it, it's very charming. It's very interesting. I also just kind of like their their pricing and business model a little bit more. They're not overwhelming with uh, with a lot of add ons and deluxe versions and such. They're they're making a discreet comfortable game and they're saying hey does this look interesting to you if it does hey help us out with that so that's been one how dare they do what kickstarter was supposed (laughs) to be about (laughs) well you so many of the crowdfunding uh just the, the the model is much more about do like a small a small discreet retail version that's going to be the main one and then do this gargantuan packed to the gills deluxe version with art prints and uh, metal coins up uh, all over the place and such. And it's refreshing to see that other people can still fit the fit the niche on the other end is instead of just being ultra, ultra luxury. So, yeah. And, and, and honestly, those kind of games are always the ones that I feel like people are like, Oh my God, did you play this game? And you're like, wait, what? Like they're, they're the, the dark horses that always uh, you get excited about because no one saw coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, look, another 200 pound miniature game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like then, those could still be the big winners, but yeah, for sure. But it, it, there's something to be said about style over substance sometimes. And I'm not absolutely not calling anybody out and unwilling to ever do so. But it's you can kind of see how some of those turn out, whether they stand the test of time and people keep talking about them much, much later. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and the other uh, one I was looking at was illiterati, which is also mm-hmm. very charming. Uh, the <laughs> word game illiterati. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you, you've named, so Hamlet and illiterati are two that uh, I I've had my eye on also recently, especially illiterati, which uh, both Will and I are interested in. Are you a big uh, word game fan? Because this looks like it does some really interesting things with that genre. Yeah, we uh, we backed and have played a fair amount of paperback and hardback, and so this yeah. seems like <laughs> this seems like it would be up our alley, my my family and friends. So I can't help. I loved it because paperback was actually one of the very first kickstars I backed f- as a gift for Jonathan. This is before I understood the idea that that delivery date might not be on time. <laughs> but still it's one that i think we loved and then of course then when hardback came out jonathan was like yeah i'm back in this i'm still i'm waiting right now for the new paperback solo game that, oh yeah that yeah made. so yeah it's it's not and, over it's still going <laughs> i mean i th- we said it when we talked about the letter i before i as someone who's terrible with words in general <laughs> i'm uh, word games like these i feel like they somehow don't make you feel bad for being bad at words still like there's, they do, it's so clever. I just don't know how they do it. They trick me into just <laughs> loving it and not feeling bad because I'm usually bad. Hmm. I've never played a math game that did that to me though. So. Yeah. Math, math, unfortunately, we're just like, no, <laughs> you need calculus. <laughs> uh, so that is a Hamlet and illiterati. De- definitely two cool projects. And like you were saying, uh, both of you, I, I like them because they're, they're also games that I'm like, oh, I could back that 
this month and not really need to worry about paying for my groceries or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think even on a different note, just I can back that and know it'd go on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, I'll be able to fit it <laughs> in a spot. Uh, all right, Will, your turn. What what you got? Okay. What you looking at? I'm actually going to go with two as well because one is not a game, but it was one that launched right before we recorded this podcast. And I may have been refreshing a bit to get my pledge through, which has never happened before. And wow. that is for the Academic 133XL. This is actually from Gamegenic, or it's going to be produced by them, but... It's designed by the professor. If you don't know, he runs a big magic channel and pretty much your go-to for anything involving sleeves, binders. He tests them all. He does all these crazy things. So this is his dream card-carrying box. And it's designed to fit like any card game so it doesn't shuffle. It passes his, I'm going to shake this as hard as I can as if you were going off-roading with your cards to make sure it doesn't open. And if you, any kind of card game, be it like something like Magic, or, you know, if you're going to take your Marvel Champion somewhere, this is designed to carry everything perfectly, like double-sleeved, triple-sleeved. It does the works. It has, it had a triple early sleeve. bird. Is that special. a joke, or do people do that? <laughs> that is a thing. Oh, yeah. That is a thing. <laughs> you're right. probably not going to see that unless you're dealing with, you know. Psychopaths? Triple-digit, at least, cost cards like we're, we're talking like investments okay uh anyways they had a right now the goal was fifty they they're already at five hundred thousand, or about to be that which is just crazy so you knew this was coming you were waiting for yeah this. i knew i was waiting i was trying to get the limited edition early bird which has a like signed on it and i clicked it at three o'clock when it launched and i've been waiting i waited for 30 minutes and it was just not going through. I look in the comments. Someone said, go pledge the regular, then change. And that's how I got it in time. And it's sold out now. Wow. Congratulations. I've never had to do that stuff for Kickstarter before. <laughs> never. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. All right. Yeah, this is not something I <laughs> was aware of. Uh, but Gamegenic makes a, a decent accessory in, in my experience. By the way, they actually have an interview on his channel, the professor with uh, one of the head designers at Gamegenic, and which is really cool if you want to learn more how about your like your components, your sleeves are made, and the thoughts behind that. So definitely check out. So it's forty five dollars. So you didn't get a cheaper price, but you just got a special version of it. Is Correct. That, okay, and uh, yeah, that's the academic one thirty three plus mm -hmm. XL. Now, for anyone who's not into card games, and I take a look at that if you're into LCGs too. I think it's it would be great for that. But the this I thought looked really cool. We already talked about it a little bit with all the game found games being announced, and that's Oak. This is a worker placement game in which you are all groups of druids trying to prove to the great oak tree you're the best group. And I thought, I mean, obviously it looks really pretty. It looks like a really fun worker game, but it has a lot of small things that I think are really cool. For example, you can upgrade your druids. I think we saw pictures of this, like them with antlers and stuff. But it seems that it's not just making it a better worker. They're all unique, which I really like because now you have to think, what worker do I want at that time? And I like the idea of having more specialized workers. Yeah, I think it's going to make more interesting decisions, not simply just, oh, I got good worker. It's, well, this one's better now at drawing cards. Is that what I want to go for? 
And of course, there's potion crafting. There's keeping track of uh, like going up the tree. There are cards with multiple abilities. It seems to have all the stuff we enjoy in any kind of game now with worker placement. Yeah. That oh. we like too, but in particular. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't look at this one too in depth, uh, but it, it's certainly not as uh, flashy as the other big project on GameFound this week. <laughs> Uh, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that I, the idea of the unique workers, you know, um, a role player lockup sort of does that uh, mm-hmm. as well. Right. So it becomes really fun when though lockup is secreted in placing, but it is still fun right. to be like to have, to I... have them do different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is is interesting. Uh, and Oak is another big one. It's 85 euros. Don't ask me to convert that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but that one's on GameFound right now. Uh, this is another one of those weeks when I get a bunch of things up expecting people to take them and none, nobody took any of them. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, which <laughs> which thing am I going to talk about? I don't know what's worse, when everybody takes mine or when nobody takes mine. <laughs> Either way, I'm unhappy. I'm very hard to please. Uh, but uh, I think I will talk about this game called Demos Academy. Uh, D-E-I-M-O-S Academy. This is a role-playing game uh, that is uh, written in part by Banana Chan, who does a lot of other writing and board game stuff. And it's a horror-themed GM-less RPG. That is, uh, the theme is you are all adults going to a reunion for a boarding school that when you were kids haunted you for some reason. Uh, you have your horrible memories of this boarding school. And as you play, you're going to discover what that was you're going to remember your past and try to overcome it or possibly turn and become evil and stop the other people from overcoming it feels very you know very stephen king to me feels like it's the i like i really like the concept of adults like confronting past trauma but with the added horror genre stuff on top of it i think it's a great premise and the other thing that's pretty unique about this is not just a typical role-playing game it's designed like a coloring book Everybody has a little paper cut out of their character. And as you play and explore and you're like telling each other the stories of your past and everything, you're actually going to color in parts of the of the pictures that you're exploring or maybe draw things to explain what happened to you. And you also get sort of paper doll style little outfits if you fail too many roles you get part of your school uniform. And if you get a full school uniform, you the school has like consumed you and you're now working for the enemy. <laughs> um, really cool ideas in this one. I, I love these kinds of off-the-wall RPGs and horror is a great RPG genre. So I'm excited about this. I, I wonder how, uh, you know, what the longevity will be like if after you've colored it in a couple times, is the novelty of that going to be lost maybe? But I'm willing to take that risk and give it even if it's only fun one time and that is 15 bucks uh just for the pdf but 35 or no it's actually ooh, it's more 65 dollars if you want the actual box set which you probably oh no i'm sorry it is just 35 65 gives you extra copies so 35 dollars for the box set so not too bad and i, I would think you would want the physical version of this seems like I- I am looking at this and I just love the design. I also want to, I love the next pledge that you mentioned, the 110 Dean list, because it's like all these school supplies. <laughs> like, I just can't help thematically. It's like perfect. I can't wait to play this and find out the terrible thing that happened. No, you're just in high school. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we don't school need stinks. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any ghosts or monsters. That's school is enough trauma. Uh, along those same lines, also so there's a, an RPG called The Real Thing, which I'm fascinated by because it is based on the music of the band Faith No More. It is an officially endorsed uh, <laughs> game by that band from the 90s, uh, late 80s, 90s, what have you. And supposedly they're in the works on a, a supplement for each of their albums. I can't say I'm a huge Faith No More fan, but for people who like that music, I think that's pretty weird and cool. I mean, I love that idea, especially with the supplements for each albums. Um, I, I always find that hilarious in the the show JoJo, where all everything's named after a song. It's like, yeah, let's just bring our music, our Spotify lists into, into our gaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I do. I think we have to talk a little bit about. God, now I now I lost it. What's the name of that? Uh, game? The uh, game found not, uh, not the yes. You know, well, we'll start with the game found one. There was okay, a, I have it pulled up here because <laughs> that was I was the one I was going to. If someone took Oak. I thought that one was going to get picked. Yeah, uh, Tamashi uh, Chronicle yep. of Ascend. Uh, so yeah, it's from Awaken Realms Light, but it's uh, the theme is cool. It's like a cyberpunk theme where you you're inhabiting different bodies. Your consciousness can like move throughout different avatars or what have you uh i have to say i from looking at the page i didn't watch any videos or anything it's difficult for me to discern exactly how this game is played <laughs> it, i watched their video um and the one thing that caught my eye and unfortunately though this would be i have to see actually in action because you know the video is just doing a summary is there seems to be a puzzle element where you gain data tokens and you actually organize them. It seemed to remind me a little bit like, uh, like any of those like puzzle quests, you know, the Tetris, like where you solve things that do actions by mm -hmm. aligning them, right? Bejeweled. Which I think is going to be the bit more of the interesting part to me. Yeah, Maybe just because the puzzle puzzle part of me in my head, like, okay, like to do this action, you need to get two, three in a rows or something, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that that could be an interesting kind of mechanic. It was kind of like a uh, bullet, right? Yes, from level ninety nine. Uh, yeah, so but you know, it's Awakened Realms, so it's it's gonna get uh, it's Awakened Realms light apparently. Which I'm like, is this a light game? It looks heavy. <laughs> I think it's light in comparison. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, for what they usually put out. The other one I was thinking of that I really want to get your thoughts on is the name of it is the Bad Karmas and the Curse of the Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the reason is, I think I, I forget to add it to the document. The reason uh, is, oh, no, I just copied that one again. Sorry. The reason <laughs> I want to talk about this is because it's a Tabooru game. If you recall, this was the digital system for board games that I think Simon uh, pioneered, or at least they had a lot of big projects that were integrated with it. Yeah, where you put everybody has their phone and you have dice that are smart dice that the phone knows what they rolled. And there's like an iPad or a screen that shows everyone the stuff in addition to the board and the minis. Is this on Kickstarter or? Yeah, it's on Kickstarter. Sorry, let me I don't know why I didn't uh, put a link to it, but I'll let you guys look at it. But uh, <laughs> Justin, do you have any, do you know, have you read about this Tabooru or just in general, the idea of like, you know, digital integration of games to this extent is that something that you're interested in a little bit i, I we ffg uh, has a bunch of those digital integration games sure and i worked on a few of them before transferring over to z-man 
Yeah, I haven't actually seen the Taburu system at all before. This is very interesting, though. Yeah, it's as someone who is, as listeners know, we, we like app games a lot. Looking at this, this starts to for me to feel like maybe this is a little too far. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I don't know. It, it could still be fun, but there's a certain point where it's like if the dice are smart and the app knows that I'm rolling the die and what number it is, do I need the die? Why isn't it just an app? But I haven't tried it, so I don't know. Yeah, I need to. I know we had our misgivings about it, even though we're positive apps. And the reason why I feel like I can have both not as much of this yet be very in love with apps is because I feel the app acknowledges we have the devices already. When this is like, we're going to give you all these fun toys, which I don't know. Like, they're nice, but they feel like getting a deluxe version when I could play the regular version fine. You know, if you want miniatures that carry data, in essence, you just put an RFE, uh, RFC, is that how you say it? RFID. Uh, RFC RFID is chip. Us. Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, do not do not put us into the minis. <laughs> but like an Amiibo or something that your uh, phones can scan them. So you could easily just, all right, this guy, this monster's in battle, which I, I feel like we haven't pushed the limits there as much as people dislike. And I guess that's my biggest issue. That said, this does look interesting and pretty cool with the different boards and obviously very pretty minis yeah and as far as i can tell not based on a property i know of (laughs) yeah i don't think so yeah this is this is fascinating i did really like uh chronicles of crime Mm -hmm. uh that one was a really fun implementation and and it was well utilized too they had a, a toolbox to make scenarios with and they used it pretty well and it kind of looks like they do the same thing here yeah, yeah, and it looks like I don't know if there's a pledge level to get it uh, without the Taburu core. It seems like they're assuming no one has it. I don't remember if I thought there maybe was a Taburu project that already launched, but all right, I just got to the Pisces miniature. It's fantastic. So ten out of ten, <laughs> I'm totally going for it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a big ask. It's around a hundred and ninety dollars US. Yeah. Uh, for but you know it's that's that's what you get when you, you got to fund all this technology. So it, it's yeah, it's interesting because it is if because I I forgot Taburu existed to be honest up to this, <laughs> but yeah. it is sort of like a I've heard a about game a console. It's just the problem is like the other reason game consoles work is because they're well established, mm-hmm. and also because. Right. Unless you're Nintendo, you can get probably a lot of those games cheaper if you wait. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> True, Somebody's got to buy in before it'll be mainstream. Uh, well, we will put links in the show notes to all these different Kickstarters. You can see for yourself what you think of them and if you want to back any of them. But now we will talk about games that we have been playing in Table Talk. I don't know if I can say Table Talk. Table Talk. Table Talk. That's right. Table talk time. Justin, what have you been playing lately that you want to talk about? Yeah, straight out of at least two to three years ago, I've been playing King's Dilemma and Marvel United. Uh, King's right. Dilemma, I've been playing with my my uh, legacy game slash campaign game crew. And we're really, really close to the end of the campaign. As far as I can tell, there's been a couple of signals from the narrative that things are going to be wrapping up fairly soon. And while 
bidding games aren't really my favorite. I think what's really interesting about that game in particular is how experientially driven it is and how even if you are getting stomped on the reg in that game, you can still kind of have a good time because you're part of this noble group who's doing and making just the worst possible decisions every single time. <laughs> so uh, so that one's been fun. We're almost done with it. And uh, uh, Marvel United was just one that we picked up this weekend to play with our, our kids. And uh, they did surprisingly well with it and had a really good time. Even my my five-year-old son, who is not the you know best strategist in the world, but he was having a good time punching uh, Red Skull. So, you know, <laughs> family bonding time, what could be better? <laughs> now, is this a retail Marvel United without whatever exclusive bells and whistles mm-hmm. they might have had before yeah yeah this was uh this was one we picked up i don't know uh six months ago from target just to have a nice light co-op game and uh i'm yeah. sure your son doesn't complain that he's missing the <laughs> <laughs> if he knew maybe he would but i'll keep that part oh, to God. myself I hope, I hope he's not like me <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah and the king's dilemma we uh, a couple people have talked about it. On yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little annoyed about it because I'm like, ours is just standing still. <laughs> yeah, we've our our campaign came to a halt long ago for just logistical and scheduling reasons. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it does. It seems like more people now that everyone's able to come back together again are are almost maybe rediscovering that game. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's cool. I mean, and it's what, it, it's such a fascinating game. What, uh, it's sort of funny to me though what you said that never occurred to me maybe it's because we haven't played in a while but i've never in my head i was like oh it's a legacy and that's how i describe it is bidding because i'm not also usually a fan of bidding but i've never felt like i i don't like this at all like the same feelings i get with other bidding games it does do such a good job also just seeing the outcomes Mm -hmm. of some of the stuff especially if someone you think bids they think they win the thing they like and then next thing they're like oh no yeah, there's reward structures even if you don't get what you want out of the game. There's little things mm-hmm. that, that you, either for your personal game or just in general as a part of the experience, it rewards you that way. You're always getting more narrative. It's always interesting what's happening. And then even even the bidding mechanics themselves are pretty kind. You don't lose mm-hmm. things that you commit if, you, if you're not on the winning side. Uh, there's ways of recollecting resources. There's other options for you to get into. So it's actually pretty kind in, the, uh, in that regard. Now, I always got to ask, and what group are you? Who uh, are you representing? Okay. I can't remember the name of the, the, they're the house that has a big tree on the, uh, on the outside of the board. And I named them Heartwood as, as the, uh, <laughs> I love it. And that's cool. They their their tendency is more towards opulence and greed. Uh, so <laughs> I'm almost we we got to have that that group at the table. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a tree one, but it's been so long. I don't even. Yeah, know. no. All I remember is Jonathan. I think yours was keys, and you're laid back. Yeah, I like, think my guys were like want everything to be neutral. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I'm the zealots. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I never get my way when we played that game, but it is interesting. Yeah. It's different. I guess the big difference, one of them for most bidding games is that you're not bidding on an object that you want to win, mm-hmm. uh, like that, that has value assigned to it. It's, it's your, it's a, it's something you want to be done. 
So it's it's a very different kind of a mindset in a way, even though it can be boiled down to essentially the same mechanic. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's it's it's a great game, and I I we need to hear. I think the last person we talked to also was like not they were close to the end. I need to hear from someone who's actually finished this thing and find out. What, I don't I don't want to hear from someone who's finished. Well, I don't want to hear the spoilers. <laughs> I just want to know if they liked the ending or not, and, and if they're how satisfied they were. Because yep. you know that that's a hard thing to pull off after so many games to make that ending worthwhile yeah i've been very yeah. very curious to see how well it sticks the landing with the different yeah. mechanisms that's come that it's put forward through through its run so yeah we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll you'll report back we'll, we'll, we'll find out i'll tweet you <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so that's uh the king's dilemma and marvel united uh will and i have been playing just a couple of things uh for instance the new game cryptid urban legends which is a spin-off title from Cryptid from Osprey. And the original Cryptid is about everybody trying to deduce where a Cryptid is hiding on a board and it's a deduction puzzle game very abstract where you're placing cubes and cones and things and you're trying to uh and discs and they're trying to figure out based on everyone's clues where the cryptid could be. This game is a similar theme. Uh, it's a strictly two-player game this time, wherein one player is the scientist trying to find a cryptid, and the other one is trying to escape them. But the gameplay is pretty different. It, the thing it really retains is the puzzly, thinking nature of it. Uh, and I don't even know if I'll do a good job explaining it, but I'll try. In, in essence, it is a game where there are... Types, there are square cards in the center of the table in different rows. And in between those little cards, which represent city blocks, are different colored cubes. And on players' turns, they're playing cards to move those cubes in different ways. So a card might let them move a certain color of cube to the left of space or split a group of cubes apart into the next row. <laughs> and then the cryptid eventually is trying to name a card that has <laughs> okay the cryptid is going to name some aspect of those cubes so they'll maybe they'll say a number or a color so they'll either say for instance four cubes and any card on the table that has four cubes next to it i'm simplifying a little bit but that's essentially what it is counts then as one of your wins and you get to put a token on it And so the scientist is trying to make it so that the spaces don't have anything in common so that the the cryptid can't just say, oh, every space has a pink cube next to it. So if I just say pink on my next turn, uh, I win because I get all those spots. The scientist is kind of trying to diversify those areas. Even saying it out, even I don't know if I really did a good job giving you an idea of how this game plays because it was hard for us to get our heads around it. Although it's, uh, you know, a relatively quick playing small box game. Did did that make sense, Will? Do you think anything you want (laughs) to? It's so hard. It's so weird because as a very, I think, grounded, like it's about cryptids theme. Yet it is, to me, very abstract. Well, yeah, just like so, the original cryptid too. It's really right, but I don't know. But somehow this one takes the next step in terms of explaining without. Maybe it's just because I'm in generally more of a visual person. 
mm-hmm. that I'm like, I need to show you on the table. Right. There's no board. <laughs> it is. It is just very small cards and cubes. <laughs> yes. That's true. I mean, at least encrypted, you're like, oh, that area is called the forest or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I mean, ostensibly in this game, there's a city and the cubes are sensors. But yeah, it's it is very removed <laughs> from that. Um, it it yeah. really just, as like you said, it boils down to the idea is you're going back and forth with almost a checkerboard, but with one, one uh, kind of spaces being the where the sensors go, the other being the actual cards of the cryptid trying to get card get uh, cards surrounded by very similar attributes and preferably on the edges. While the scientist is trying to corner the the cryptid by getting it more towards the center and also keep things very uniform. Yeah, there were multiple times in our play of it where we would go, wait a minute, I think I just lost. And both of us would be like, wait, did you? <laughs> You're like, oh, wait, <laughs> no, I guess I can keep going. Like, it was really a struggle uh, to understand that stuff. I do think if you're someone who really likes games like chess or you know, Go or Othello, that sort of thing, it's not that level of complexity or... Um, uh, you know, variety of moves or anything, but it's that sort of like back and forth vibe, I think, mm-hmm. of trying to like, I did this. Well, now I'm going to counter it with this. I, I will say, I mean, I know you said it has that puzzling nature, but unlike when I think of other games that have like the base version and now we made a two player version, this really, like, I feel you could have called this something else. I would have been like, oh, this is a lot like Cryptid. Like, mm-hmm. I feel it's such a unique, weird mechanisms yeah like when an original cryptid you're i feel like you're you're doing more of a like like an easter egg hunt kind of deal but everyone has clues and you're trying to bluff what clues you know while other people and try to read what they know this isn't about hiding information like there's no hidden clues or anything it's it's that like you chess it's or that time you killed me like you brought up on while we were playing Mm -hmm. that back and forth of trying to think and outmaneuver your opponent yeah definitely yeah yeah cryptid the original one does have a little more logic puzzle, yes I think. which is which is definitely this one is definitely more calculations <laughs> so it doesn't quite scratch that same itch but i guess that you know that's good i think for for a spinoff it's it is kind of nice that it's, it's not just cryptid two-player version for better right. or worse uh justin do you ever play the original cryptid at all I own it, but I have it's one of those on my shelf in shame, uh, still in shrink. <laughs> so I love deduction games. Uh, yeah. it's, it's something I really enjoy, but just just haven't gotten the uh, time or the inclination to bust it out. If it helps, we both highly recommend it. I love when that game comes out, mostly because it's even come out like later in a game night mm-hmm. and I'm still happy for it. Yeah. I know this is probably me the opposite for Jonathan, but <laughs> if you're the kind of person who does like thinking like, all right, if A equals B, but BS equals th- like the sort of piecing those puzzles together, Crypto does such a fun job at it. Yeah, yeah. I, that actually probably does help uh, quite a bit. Just <laughs> spur me forward to, to finally give there it a go. shot. Yeah, it is like the nice thing about it is that you are competing with people, but it's not so stressful in terms of like you're not like directly attacking each other and you're not you are hiding your clues because you're not saying them out loud, but you're not 
it's it's strangely difficult on the brain, but also it's, as far as brain burners go, not to me as stressful it, as some it, other ones. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me like, but not with the math part, which is maybe helpful. Like Sudoku, where you know you have to find mm-hmm. out how to get something yeah. to perfectly fit. It's also really funny too when like you're like, I found it. This is perfect. Because the way you, it, like similar to Clue, you have to find out the perfect thing. But instead of you being out, you just go around the table. And if someone says, that doesn't fit my clues, you're like, okay. Oh. Yeah. What is your clue then? <laughs> yeah. Also, but do be careful with whoever you play it with that you truly understand what's yes and what's no. Sure. Last time we played, I remember we were like a quarter of the way through and someone's like, oh no, I've been putting down no's. That <laughs> is, yes. yeah. Or yeah. or just you're like, oh, I realized that when I said that spot was good last time, it wasn't. That that happens for sure. You got to, yep. people get used to it. Uh, we also, uh, we played a little code names real quick. I'll just plug it because we were on uh, the code names live show which you should still be able to watch. You know, Twitch keeps them up, I think, for like a couple of weeks at uh, twitch.tv slash Tim underscore Riel, R-I-E-L, who hosts the, the game. Uh, and it was it was code names. It was fun. We, we did code names live. We played it. We've done it before. It was our second time on the show. Uh, I don't know that, you know, I, I love code names. I don't know that I have anything new to say about it, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I still I still love playing it. So, yeah. I was thinking about it uh, yeah. and more of a general thing. And one of the things I think code names does really well that I think is actually really important for a, a lot of board games. And maybe, you know, you can bring up if Leviathan has this kind of <laughs> structure <laughs> is don't get me wrong. I like winning. Winning is fun. It feels good. But when a game can give you a, especially codings does this a lot. And there are games we enjoy that do it a lot. And I think, you know what King, uh, the King Salama does this where there are moments when it's not about like it's a winning move. It's about something that just, you know, you're going to talk about days later. Sure. Like it's a, it's a silly pick or, all right, he did the risky thing and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. The, the, those moments and code names. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so great. It captures that so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. helps that, that uh, other games too. It helps that a game of code names is also, you know, 10 minutes long. <laughs> right. But I mean, I, I think long, there are great long games that still do that, mm. that give you those moments when you're so excited to see not to hit the end game and win, but just to see how things turn out or because of something turned out, how it, you could not imagine it turn out that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's always sure. good. Always a good thing to have. Uh, so that's code names. We'll put a link so you can see it if you want to. Now, uh, we're almost done. We're almost ready to wrap up the show. But before we go, we I am going to make everybody play a <laughs> board game game. And this week's board game game is another edition of Fiddly Feud, as I like to call it. Uh, I've got a that's right. That's right. Uh, trademark. I've got a list of 10 games from Board Game Geek. And just like the game Family Feud, you, Justin and Will, are going to be competing. You're each your own family in this edition and trying to name all the items on the list, ideally uh, from, you know, number one to number 10 order. But uh, we don't we don't weigh them here. <laughs> we'll give you <laughs> points for whatever you can say. Now, this week's theme is from Board Game Geek. I'm sorry. I'm so, I, if I sound distracted, it's because there's a squirrel outside my window that looks like it's carrying like an entire apple or something. I don't know where the squirrel got. I, the- I'm going to need you to pause and send me a photo <laughs> right away. It's got like a roll of bread in its mouth or something 
Obviously, paint. this is a squirrel with a whole <laughs> bunch of one-one counters. Be careful, Jonathan. He's coming for your life points. I'm I'm worried about him. Okay, he's he's out of my eyesight now. It's okay. I'm I'm back. I'm back. Um. Anyway, the theme this week is the top ten ranked according to Board Game Geek users licensed games games based on pro- properties from tv movies video games etc now the twist however for this week is that this is licensed games not including anything based on star wars <laughs> <laughs> oh <Because> man <laughs> we already did a star wars top 10 edition of this game once and were i to include star wars that is like 70 percent of the list uh so that is the challenge top licensed games that are not star wars so uh <sighs> you guys are going to alternate right. taking turns uh, justin would you like to go first or second i okay so i have a good guess for for first so i'm gonna go first <laughs> yeah. let's do it all right i am ready for your guess i'm gonna say marvel champions marvel champions the lcg is it on the list hold on i have sound effects for this <laughs> oh which one is which here we go <laughs> Marvel Champions. No, I'm sorry. It is not on the list. That is your first strike. (laughs) I I think there's got to be a Marvel on there. So I'm going to go with Legendary, the deck building game. Marvel, the Legendary deck building game. Not on there either. I am sorry. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you there is no Marvel game in the top 10. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, no. So that is out. So we're back to you, Justin. What's your backup guess? Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, one of my favorite games. Also one of their favorite games. That is number two. Number two currently. And keep in mind, of course, listeners, if you know, these lists change all the time. It might be different tomorrow, but this is what (laughs) we're going with. Hold on. I need to just uh, vote a whole bunch of uh, positive things on on Marvel games. Yeah. (laughs) Cheat your way in. All right. So we got one on the board. What do you think, Will? All right. So my next inclination is to go to Lord of the Rings. But I don't know which is the highest one. I'm going to risk it and go with the, I believe it's the War of the Ring is the the name of it. Yeah. War War for the Ring. War of the Ring. Of the Ring. Yeah, that is the name of that game. Fortunately, it is not on this list. Uh, We'll see if we'll see if we come back to Lord of the Rings or not. Justin, what do you think? Um, hmm. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, How about the would you count clank legacy the acquisitions incorporated as a licensed game um i'm gonna i'm gonna go easy on you and say no it's not on this okay list, but um, te- technically it kind of counts but uh but i don't think so for, for the purposes of this one well then i think i'll just stick with um stick with the lord of the rings theme um what is it lord of the rings conquest is it lord of the rings conquest <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with it. <laughs> or, or do you mean Lord of the Rings? Or is the is confrontation? The confrontation? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean that one. So Half points. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> 
Uh, which one is that? Honestly, I'm shocked that I don't know why this is the highest ranked Lord of the Rings game. It's one. It's like the only one I don't have any familiarity with, <laughs> and there's like seven of them. So, uh, yeah, but that that is the Lord of the Rings game that's on this list. Well, uh, uh, I guess I'm not saying Journeys to Middle Earth next. So. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my In next fact, guess. I'll just tell you, there is no, all of these are their own. There's no re, no multiple franchises in this top 10. Okay, that makes me feel better. Mm, I, I want to ask, and I don't know if it's cheating. I'm, I, at this point, I'm open to providing hints. <laughs> uh, are we counting Lovecraft as a copyright? Uh, you know what? I'll, uh, no, we're, we're not. We're not counting Lovecraft. Okay. I, because it's like it's it's public domain, and I, I think Jonathan's going with things that are still. I'd say the same with Sherlock Holmes. Is that because uh, that's public domain oh, as well? Yeah, yeah. I'll, there is uh, everything on here is not public domain. Okay, that's okay. That's yeah. yeah that should have been my question. Much <laughs> much more hidden. All right. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going through my head of what. Oh, uh, Dune. Oh yeah. Dune, just Dune, D-U-N-E. The, that the the classic one that got remade by. Uh, nope. Uh, <laughs> no Dune, no 1979 or 2019 Dune on this list, unfortunately. That was so clever. Yeah, yeah, but you know you 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 you've been dancing around a couple, the two of you. Back to you, Justin. Oh man, I'm just I'm kind of dry on ideas here. <laughs> the only right, thing I know see. about is Star Wars. <laughs> Here's a hint. Um, one of them is a game that we've alluded to already in this episode. Uh, one of them is not too far off. There's a couple that are not too far off from Star Wars. And there's one that's also pretty close to another one that Will already said. Oh man. Two, really. Oh no! <laughs> I, You're really, yeah. I'm desperate for that to be as helpful as I, as it could be. Ah, uh, jeez! Oh, you, of course, the Pokemon Master Trainer game. <laughs> if you scroll through the podcast notes, <laughs> you might you okay, might find okay. a hint of it. <laughs> oh man! Boy, okay, boy, how, this how, is going to be the stumper? Is it is it a code names? Because I know they did a lot of licensed games. There is no code names. Oh, you know what? That's another hint I'll give you. There, everything here. Uh, well, that's not true. Most of the things here are original, not reskin. Oh, I, I think I got one. All right. Oh, is it actually my turn though? Yeah, sure. If you got go one. for it. <laughs> At this point, this Disney villainous. Disney villainous. Yes, okay. Disney villainous comes in at number ten. And at this point, I think it's a free-for-all. So if either of you have uh, ideas, you're working together now. <laughs> there's uh, right. there's still a handful of pretty big uh, film and TV properties that have not been mentioned. Some are uh, some are pretty recent as well. Uh, so I would say all these games are from within the last 10 years. Well, uh, maybe this doesn't fall in the 10-year thing or not, but all these are based off of properties that aren't already in board games. Uh, like I mean, yes. like Magic literally was made Correct. as a board game first. Yes, it's not. It's not the adaptation of <laughs> something else. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, uh, my all right. Give me a minute. My brain's rebooting. You, Will you said two that were very close to ones that are on this list? You just need to move to the side a little bit on those. All right. One of them's got to be Dune. Is it Dune? I don't know if any other Dune game, though. Is it Dune Imperium? 
Oh my! It is okay. Dune. That's that's number one. Oh, is how could Dune I forget Imperium? that one? Oh, that one's so good. <laughs> and you know, Board Game Geek tends to have a bit of a recency bias, I'd yeah. say. So, uh, although- well, I mean, I actually went with the War of the Rings. I'm like, that one's old, so that one's got to be ranked high. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, apparently not. I, I don't, now I'm questioning, did I like look at this list wrong? Because how is War of the Ring not in here? Isn't that in like the top 10 of all time or something? <laughs> maybe, maybe that was left off for some reason. Doesn't matter. This is my list. That's what we're going with. I think they do different things with their algorithms for different, um, mm. different, uh, sections of the site. So what's on the, uh, the top 100 wouldn't necessarily be perfectly reflected in other, uh, categories. So. That makes sense. It's got to be something weird like that. All right. I mean, let's be honest. Regardless of be Borgen Geek or wherever you find a list, understand that it has some sort of bias. So you're going to need to maybe mm-hmm. do some investigating whether that is a top 10 that makes sense to you. <laughs> but uh, enough, I guess, probably uh, me trying to stalling. You're on stall. Uh, DC deck building. Mm, no, there's no ah. DC deck building game. Uh, but it's, uh, it's still, you were closer before. It's not a Marvel game. Not a Marvel game on this list. You guessed Marvel Legendary. <laughs> the, not the Aliens Encounters. Oh, Alien oh, Encounters, okay. number three. Yeah. I am so proud, yet yeah, I feel so bad, because I feel like Marvel deserves to be on there as the, the granddad. But well, Aliens I think the granddad of Encounters. Oh, what about Game of Thrones 2nd Edition? Great guess. Board game. Not, it is not on there, though. No Game of Thrones in this top 10. Um, We're all still burnt from the last season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. There is another deck building game on here. Uh, there's also um, another uh, mature uh, premiere television show adaptation <laughs> that's sort of like Game of Thrones, but <laughs> not nearly as popular. <laughs> the Expanse board game? That's a good guess, but no. Is there an Expanse board game? Yeah, that was by um, Jeff Engelstein, right? I don't. I some reason I totally missed this one. Mm. I know. Do you know of this? I know there's an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Are we? Are we? Are we stumped? Should I reveal them? Did I? How many do we have left? Did Sorry. I win? <laughs> uh, five left. You've got half the list. <laughs> oh, uh, God! I want to like at least try and think of something <laughs> i uh, mean but... a couple of them you'll definitely kick yourselves but i don't know some of them are maybe a little trickier I, lord of the rings was the one i was willing to just give you because i didn't think anyone was going to say that one <laughs> <laughs> it's still surprising to me that it was the confrontation of all things that was uh that list yeah. but still yeah yeah, this is what's confusing me. Um, all right, so a deck building game, a big popular deck building game based on a book series, although it's really based more on the movie series in this case. Oh, is this the Harry Potter deck building? That's right. Oh, Harry Potter yeah. is number four. Number five, this one surprised me. It is based on one of the most famous movies of all time. I believe it's an Eric Lang design, uh, but I don't hear a ton of people talking about it. Oh, uh, Godfather. That's right. The Godfather, mm. number five. Number six is one of my, another one of my favorite games of all time, uh, based on one of my favorite shows of all time. I feel like Jonathan's looking at me right like, and I'm just like. <laughs> I think I might know, maybe. Because Battlestar was already said. <laughs> oh, yeah. You gotta, so the Firefly board game? Yes, Firefly. Oh. Yeah, right. there's the kicking. <laughs> there's the kicking. Uh, number seven, the one I was thinking of, uh, 
not Game of Thrones, but Spartacus. Oh, yes. Uh, yep. Uh, which now has a non-licensed version out. And finally, the last one here, not Star Wars, but Star Trek Ascendancy is as number nine. Uh, really? That? Number nine. That's where it is. So uh, so there's there's your list. Question it as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't blame you at all for it, but that's uh that was it. And that was a, uh, you know, frankly a, a a sad episode of Fiddly Feud. But you know what? You're both winners in my heart. You gave it your all. I, I believe in you, I believe in the power that, that you had. And if it were Star Wars themed, you wouldn't you would have aced it. So it was really it was really stacked against you from the beginning. Now, Justin, for for putting up with us on this show and for taking part in all our shenanigans, you've earned plenty of experience points and you get to spend them right now by telling listeners how they can follow you online and find out what you're working on next. Yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a blast. Uh, The main way that you can follow us is you can check out leviathanwilds.com. It will give all the links to our social media places it'll give all the links to the tabletop simulator mod go play go play it today tell us what you think it's we think it's really fun but we can make it better uh uh, we've also got links to our discord channel which we're organizing playtesting and just community involvement through so um, yeah the rule book is is linked there as well and the last thing i'll say is we're running weekly demos so if you want to sign up and be taught by the designers just pop by the website and sign up for a demo and we'd be delighted to teach you how to play the game that's fantastic. I mean, what? Why? Who wouldn't want to do that? Go get a personal teaching experience. That sounds great. Uh, we will put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Definitely check it out. If you want to find more Roll for Crit stuff, you can go to rollforcrit.com, where you'll find links to our YouTube channel, our Patreon page, where we do bonus podcasts. Uh, you can also submit questions and comments to us. Our address for that is meeplegallery at gmail.com. If you got something specific you want to hear us talk about on the show. Thank you again, Justin. Thank you so much for agreeing to the show with us, hanging out. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much as well. If I can just quickly plug one more thing, Jonathan. Sorry. No. Uh, if, by the t- if you're listening to the day this comes out, we're, we're turning to Twitch, and we're actually running a contest there, giving away free co- uh, codes for Aeon's End, the digital version. So if you want to try that out and not have to pay for it, definitely uh, tune into that stream. Yeah. Check out that. will also be on rollforcrit.com. You'll find our, our Twitch links and all that stuff, too, and our social media. So check it out to follow that stuff. Otherwise, my name is Jonathan. I'm Will. And this has been Roll for Crit. Bye, everybody. Thank you.